Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us online this morning. Thanks for being here with us in person. My name is Wes, associate pastor here at North. A privilege to be here uh, at North. And uh, Jay is, is out of town for um, a family wedding, and so I get to share with you guys this morning. I've been at North for 18 years or so, believe it or not. And I've been through, um, you know, 18 different Advent seasons, Christmas times here at North. And I can say with all confidence that this is the only time we've been going through the book of Revelation <laughs> during Advent. But that's where we're at today. We're going through Revelation. We're actually going to look at the first half of Revelation 11 today. And at the same time, as we're going through Revelation 11, uh, we're going to be considering this Advent theme of peace. Because Jesus is the main point, and because he's the central figure of the book, of Revelation, we should consider his words from the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God in Matthew 9. Then Isaiah 9, 6 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Now those words were written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, a prophecy about who Jesus would be. We don't get to have peace with God unless Jesus. We don't get to have peace with other people unless Jesus, and we don't have that inner peace without him. I had a friend in college that I actually went to high school with uh, in Maryland, and then we both ended up at the same college in Ohio. And he wasn't a believer, um, didn't go to church, didn't have a faith, but found a Jesus, accepted Jesus into his heart, you know, his life, and the, his countenance literally changed. Something happened to him when he accepted Jesus, and he said things like, I have, I've never felt a peace like I feel right now. I didn't know when you guys talked about this peace that goes beyond understanding. I didn't know what you were talking about, and it was only until he accepted Jesus did he get that. And he, he saw things differently, literally. But colors were more vibrant. Uh, smells, experiences, relationships all changed because of this peace that he got from Jesus, and that's what we get to talk about this morning. So let's go over some of the context of where we've been so far in the book of Revelation, remind us where we're at. So the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. He's there because he's being persecuted for his faith. And then he has this vision, and he's asked to write down what he sees and hears in this vision, thus the book of Revelation. It starts off with an introduction of Jesus to John. And then there's these seven letters that are written to seven specific churches. And Jesus is addressing each of these churches and the, the things they're doing well, the things they're not doing well, warnings, rebukes, and encouragement. Then John was invited into the throne room of God 
in heaven. God is on the throne and he is invited into this scene and that's where we find ourselves now. God on the throne with creatures worshiping God 24-7. Elders worshiping God 24-7. And then you have Jesus who is the root of David and who is the lion of Judah but is taking the form in this scene as the slain lamb. And next to the slain lamb was a scroll with seven seals. And as these seals were, re- were removed, we saw the realities of what was going on on the earth and that Jesus, as the slain lamb, was overseeing what was going on there and for all of eternity. And that took us through chapter 7 of the book. Then in chapters 8 through 11, we are discussing these seven trumpet blasts. The first four of them being symbolic imagery of these realities that we have on earth and the consequences of evil, of sin, judgment that Jesus is bringing to believers and non-believers. And the last three trumpet blasts that we look at, five, six, and seven, is this imagery of the three woes or three consequences, if you will, to earth's inhabitants. As people who have not submitted to the king of Jesus, Jesus brings affliction and judgment in order to, in order to spur them on towards a relationship with him. Now we've looked at the fifth and the sixth trumpet blasts and are finishing up these two woes today. And then we're going to look at the seventh and final trumpet blast or the final woe Uh, in a couple weeks. Of course, we have the uh, December 26th service, and what time is that? (laughs) Not 11, 10. I heard that over there. 10 o'clock, remember and celebrate next Sunday. Then January 2nd, we have more of a vision casting service for us at North as we begin the new year, and then we'll come back to this seventh trumpet blast on January the 9th. And as we look at uh, Revelation 11, 1 through 14 today, I want us to keep something in mind. John is seeing a vision of the realities that are on the earth and in heaven of the time that Jesus is addressing this. Jesus lived, died, rose again, and then ascended into heaven, thus beginning the church age, or beginning the end, if you will. And that church age exists now for the last 2,000 years and will exist until Jesus returns at the appointed time. Now the New Testament writers knew about this. They knew that this word that we were living in now also represents the end. The end meaning the word telos, the Greek word telos, or the end means purpose, intent, or goal the ultimate result of an event or a process. Now the word end also means the, the very end, but it also means this time period that we find ourselves living in now. And that won't change until Jesus returns. And last week, as we discussed what John was seeing, in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet blast, Jesus has the ultimate authority on the earth. And it's through, and even though there's suffering that happens, Jesus is next to God on the throne. So let's read uh, Revelation 11, 1 through 14. And let me pray before I open that up. God, I just, as we read your words, uh, the book of Isaiah also says 
um, that when they're spoken, that they never return back to God void. So whatever that means for each of us as individuals as well as a local church this morning, we rely on that promise that when we read your word, that it accomplishes what you desire it to accomplish. We trust in you. Your name, amen. So Revelation 11, 1 through 14. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my witnesses, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if everyone would harm them, anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the people, peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life will come from God, and God entered them. And they stood up to their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God in heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is coming, because going to come. So there's a lot there, right? Thanks for bearing with me all 14 verses. Let's take a closer look at what John is seeing in this vision and the meaning for us today. There's an image of a measuring rod or a staff. And John is asked to measure the temple and the altar, but not the court outside of the temple. The term measure is probably not as much about the actual measurements, how tall, how wide, how big is the temple or the altar, but it's most likely a term used to say that God has ownership over the temple, that God has ownership over the altar. To measure the temple and the altar here means that God owns it and has control over it and is even represented by the temple. Now in those days, the only people who were allowed to measure something were people who owned it. You weren't allowed to measure land unless you owned the land. You weren't allowed to measure a building unless 
you owned that building. So the temple is a symbolic representation of God and his kingdom, and the altar representing worship and sacrifice. Now the court is not to be measured just outside of the temple. Temple courts represent the nations of people. And what that tells us is that we can belong to God, we can be his, but we're also going to be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable to sin and evil until Jesus returns and until God measures or takes ownership back over everything and all people for the rest of eternity. Now, there's several references in this passage to periods of time. It mentions 42 months. It mentions 1,260 days, and it mentions three and a half days. Now, if you're good with math, you've, you've figured out that 42 months is essentially the same as 1,260 days. That's three and a half years, if you're doing the math. Three and a half years is to be considered the church age, the age in which we are living now. Until Christ returns, that's this period that we are living in right now. Now, three and a half, if you're in second grade, you know three and a half is half of seven. And seven, as we've been teaching, is a representation of perfectness or completeness or wholeness. And so when these 42 months or 1260 days or three and a half years is being discussed here, it's letting us know that for a period of time, this will be the reality. But at some point, we will finish time, and that will start when Christ returns on this earth. And then there's, there's a mention of three and a half days where the dead are seen in the streets, and that also represents a portion of time, but not complete time and wholeness. Now, there's two witnesses here uh, that represent God's power and his presence on the earth and over his people. Now, God uses the word witness here on purpose. Witness is a legal term. Legally, witnesses are needed in court in order to find the truth. God discusses the legal idea of these witnesses here because there is an official line that is drawn in between belief and unbelief. And that line is binding. That line is ultimate. That line is final and legally binding. And then we have this idea of a beast in this passage, a beast that comes up, and it's meant to spur unbelieving people towards a faith in God. This beast represents evil in this world, and afflicts believers, afflicts unbelievers, and will continue to in this world until Jesus returns and ultimately defeats this beast or representation of evil. Now there's these dead bodies that's kind of gruesome that are lying there in the streets, and these are not literal dead bodies. This is a representation of the consequences that evil brings upon our World, and it actually appears that the church is being defeated. Another interpretation of these dead bodies is because we live in this time period of the church age, we have loved ones that pass away, right? And these people, if they have faith in Jesus, they are now gone and they are in the grave. And at some point, 
they will be gathered up and brought up to heaven with Jesus. Now, they live outside of time, so they are already with Jesus because they live outside of time, but there's this imagery that we see that they're dead in the streets and they are, they are gathered up to Jesus in heaven. So the, the representation for us is that if we pass away, if there are believers who pass away, they are with Jesus, and at the same time when Jesus returns, all believers will be gathered up together with him. At the end of this passage, it mentions a great earthquake and 7,000 people dying, and these are ungodly people who pass away, and the people who are observing this, they see these people die, they know that there's an imminent judgment that will be coming for them, and they are spurred towards faith in God. Then it closes with this statement that the second woe is ending, the sixth trumpet blast, and that the third woe, the seventh trumpet blast, is coming forth. Now, my, from my perspective, the takeaway from this passage today is that there is power and that God has a plan for his people, even though that suffering and sin and evil and consequences exist. Now, Jesus came to earth for a really specific purpose. He came to be, show us true faith. He came to be persecuted. He came to have victory over sin. He came to suffer, experience death, and then ultimately return to his Father in heaven. Now, the people of Israel, God's people, had the same calling on their life, the same calling that Jesus did to have faith, to be persecuted, to have victory, to suffer, to die, and to ultimately go to heaven for eternity. And that's represented by the promised land, when God's people go into the promised land. And we, like Jesus and like God's people of Israel, are called to the same thing. We're called to faith, persecution, victory, suffering, death, and ultimately eternity with God in heaven. This passage in Revelation 11 is also a reminder of God's judgment. Judgment against unbelievers as well as the future judgments for everyone, believers and non-believers. Now because God is perfect, because God is holy, because God is true, and because God is pure, justice has to be done. That's what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation. Because there is justice and judgments, then we get to have true peace. Without justice, there is no peace. And God puts boundaries in our lives to protect us. God provides justice to protect us. There are consequences for our sins. There are consequences for evil. But sometimes those consequences can spur us towards a deeper faith and connection to God. Now when I think of God's justice I, I, and his boundaries, I, I think of myself as a parent, all right? My wife and I provide boundaries and limits for our kids to protect them. My wife and I provide consequences for wrong decisions in order to protect them. My wife and I provide the blessings of rules, limits, guidelines, and correction in order to provide love and protect them. 
the easiest way for our home to be peaceful is for when everyone is living within those boundaries. And that's the same way with our faith in God. When we live within his boundaries, we can be at peace. Now, one of the uh, rules or guidelines we have in our house, I'm not necessarily recommending this, <coughs> um, but it's one of the things that we do. Uh, so when they get to a certain age, teenage years or whatever, we tell them they can listen to whatever music they want to listen to. You know, given maybe a, a few that are for sure knows. But for the most part, they can listen to whatever, they reach a certain point, they can listen to whatever music they want. With the agreement that if, if mom or dad wants to sit down with them, print out the lyrics, and all read it together as we listen to the song, if they're willing to do that and explain to us what they're listening to, they can listen to it. It has deterred our kids <laughs> from certain songs because they don't want to go through the agony of reading these awkward lyrics and explaining to us what they mean because we don't want them to be ignorant consumers of music. We want them to know what they're listening to and to be able to understand what they're listening to. So, it, you know, you can imagine with a, with a song, I, I'm a fan of Justin Bieber, by the way, but he did write a song that's horrible. Um, yeah, you got that yummy yum. That yummy yum, that yummy yummy. Yeah, you got that yummy yum, that yummy yum, that yummy yummy. <laughs> Not the best lyrics. And you can imagine with other songs that are promoting other things that our kids wouldn't necessarily want to go through that. But we provide limits and boundaries for our kids because we care for them. And God does the same thing with us. Another thing that we do in our house um, is we, uh, we have two F words. One, both of them you're not allowed to say. Of course, there's the F word that they're not allowed to say in our house, or we're not allowed to say in our house. And then there's another one. We're not allowed to call people fat. It's just not something that we do in our house. So we're explaining this to our kids because there's, you know, there's two F words in our house and you don't, you don't say that. And, and Joseph was just beginning to gather this concept and he was at school and they were at recess and some kid calls another kid fat and he goes, oh, you said the F word? <laughs> of course, the kid had no context for what he was talking about and we had to have another conversation with Joseph and it was a whole thing. But, but again, we provide limits and boundaries because we love our kids and God does the same thing with us and we get to celebrate and experience true peace because of those boundaries that Jesus gives us and because of who he is. When you think about the term peace, what comes to mind? When you think about being at peace, what kind of images come to your mind, to your head? A lot of us are going to think about some, we'll get to that one in a minute here. Some of us were thinking about serenity, you know, tranquility, you're next to the ocean or you're on the top of a mountain or you're in the forest or next to a bubbling creek or whatever the case may be. And there's a reason that those are the images that we would think of because it's a place where there's beauty, there's calm, 
there's a lack of chaos maybe. And that's when we think about those images of peace that gets us in the direction of what God wants us to understand about peace. Now I did Google um, peace images here and so these are the first ones that, that came up on Google and you know they make sense. You do see a few of those kind of serene, tranquil moments in there. Um, I do have a fun fact for you though. This is just a bonus for you. The, the top left there, that peace symbol, I'm not sure if you know what that peace symbol actually represents besides peace, um, but it, was, it means nuclear disarmament is what the peace symbol means. That vertical line that runs through the middle of it uh, is the, is a, represents a signal for the letter D, and then those two lines that come down represent the signal for the letter N, or nuclear, nuclear disarmament. So when you're at a holiday party or a New Year's Eve party or a Christmas party, you can just break out that fun fact and you'll be the most popular person in the room or you'll be considered Debbie Downer. I'm not sure which one. I also Googled the opposite of peace. And these were the terms that came up. This is the first picture that came up on Google when referencing the opposite of peace. That's not it. There we go. Aversion, bloodshed, confrontation, spite, rivalry, war, conflict, animosity, disagreement. Now, peace has several meanings. The opposite of peace has several meanings. And there's this idea of peace that means without war or without conflict. There's actually what's called the GPI, the Global Peace Index, that tracks conflicts, wars, and peace throughout the world. And the Society of International Law in London stated this, that over the last 4,000 years, basically uh, recorded history, over the last 4,000 years, there have been only 268 years of peace in spite of treaties and peace treaties. And in the last three centuries or 300 years, there have been 286 wars just on the continent of Europe alone. We live in a world that's broken and needs peace and justice. Now the Bible obviously speaks to this idea of peace, meaning to be without war or conflict. But usually when peace is mentioned, it, it's something different. The Old Testament term for peace, shalom, describes peace this way, a place where chaos is not allowed to exist. Peace is found under God's kingdom order when things are whole and complete and when chaos does not exist. And the New Testament term for peace is used to refer to two, two different things. One, the experience of salvation that brings peace and also harmonious relationships between people. And James describes it this way. He says in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, 18, he says, the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We can literally make peace when we live as Jesus calls us to live. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I want you to see the context in which he writes these words. This charge to us, whatever possible on your end, be at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 9 through 21, this is where we find this passage. The context around it is love must be sincere, hate what is evil. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. 19 says, do not take revenge. And verse 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that context, is where he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The context, Paul, and ultimately God, is asking us to do is to be at peace, not with our good buddies, not with the people we enjoy, not with, you know, all the people that think like us and do things like us. The context here is that people who persecute us, we are to fight to be in peace with them or the people who are our enemies. Now that is an Advent calling right there. The call to be at peace. Now several years ago, there was a family at North had some students, and as the student pastor, spent a lot of time with this family. And they ultimately were discouraged and disappointed with some things and, and, and left, which is fine. Not a, we're not a perfect place. I wasn't a perfect student pastor. But on their way out, uh, they said some, some hurtful things to me. And they said some things about me to other people. Now, some of them were warranted. Some of those things, they were right. Some of them were just kind of icky and gross. And for years, uh, something would come across my social media, and I would see a picture of them or something like that. And the first thing that would well up in me was hurt or anger. And where it says, love does not delight in evil, I suffered from the sin of not necessarily wanting things to go great for them all the time if I'm being honest. And I had to deal with that. I had to figure that out. God and I had to, to work on my heart in that way. And a few years ago, the oldest student comes up to me and actually sends me a text that says, hey, let's grab coffee. So we go, we sit down for coffee. And he goes on to tell me what God had been teaching him. God was encouraging him to look back on the different things that they had done in, the, in, the, in his past to ask for forgiveness from the Lord, but then also have some conversations with people that they had hurt. And so he sat across the table from me as we were sipping our coffee, and he apologized. And he listed some specific things that he was asking for forgiveness for. And of course, God was creating peace in him already. He was being obedient. He was, he was uh, following what the Lord was doing. And I know that there was a peace that was happening between him and the Lord through that. But what it did for me that day was it brought peace to me. It did something in my heart and in my mind where he literally made peace. And I then had an exchange with him. You know, I had some confessions to make as well. 
and we gave peace to one another. I think one of the best ways to head in the direction of peace, like Jesus wants us to do, the character and purpose of revelation to point to Jesus is to use our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. James describes the power of the tongue in this way. When we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And then verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. May it not be so. You can probably, if I asked you to recall words that someone has said about you in a positive way, a compliment, an encouragement, you can probably recall a few of those. You can probably go back and remember what they said, that compliment, that thing that gave you life that was encouraging to you. And you can probably also recall, maybe even easier, the negative things that people have said about you, said to you. Maybe those things were straight up evil or harmful. But like the author of Proverbs says, death and life come in the power of the tongue, the words that we Use. And because Jesus is just, he provides us peace. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to make peace, and there's no better time to do it than now. So what would it mean for you to live at peace with the people around you? Does someone come to your mind that you may need to have a conversation with, that the Lord is working in your heart and in your mind. What words could you use about someone that would promote peace? What words could you say to someone that would promote peace? What words have you used that maybe were the opposite of peace? Maybe they were destructive. Maybe they brought death to you or to someone else. Now Jesus gives us all the tools in order to live this out, to live out this peace. And it's through his life, his death, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit that we have to guide us. So as we go forward, let's allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us in this season, knowing who Jesus is, to promote peace. Peace with our Lord, as well as the people around us. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want the peace of God that goes beyond circumstance, beyond understanding, 
That's, that's the lane I want to be in. And I hope that's the same for you. Let's pray. I gotta thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. The 700 years before you were born, you were called the Prince of Peace and you lived what that means for us. And as we look at Revelation, we consider judgment, suffering, sin, but ultimately, the slain lamb that provides for us the authority and the power to live in that peace. Allow us to walk with you as we consider what it would mean to live at peace with others. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Well, let's just do that again. Let's do that again. Uh, we have some postcards for you, Christmas cards. You can take these home with you, write some uh, notes to people, send them out. We'll send them out for you if you want us to. Maybe this, this is a way you can encourage people uh, during this season. We also have prayer partners over here. If you'd like to be prayed with, prayed for, you can submit your requests and put them in the offering on your way out. Uh, but as we finished this morning, I was reminded of uh, the, the cultural thing that the, we started kind of in the 18th century where we put R.I.P. on tombstones, rip. That's kind of a, a phrase right now for younger people when something doesn't go well, they're like, rip. Uh, see, if you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't know, okay? But rip, rest in peace, you know, I think is fine to put on a, a tombstone, right? I guess I would rather talk about what does it mean to live in peace. And maybe for you, what it means to live in peace is you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's the peace that you need. Maybe your knowledge that you're sinful, that Christ died for you, and that you're loved, and that nothing in your past can take that away from you. Maybe that's the peace that you need this morning, just to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's a relationship with someone else. But I encourage you guys to consider what it would mean for you to be at peace with God and peace with others and internal peace as well. I love you guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.